I had prepared a message uh, that I had been studying all all week and was uh, planning. Usually what I do is I prepare two messages, sometimes three, and then I get to the church and decide which one I'm going to do when I get there uh, because I want to kind of get a sense for the people. But what I did this time was I prepared uh, three messages and then uh, was planning on focusing on one. I had made up my mind, and I was all set, and then uh, earlier today changed my mind and sent the PowerPoint to Jeff. And uh, so anyway, but and then I get here and find out you're just finished the series on forgiveness, and I'm, we're in Psalm 51, which happens to be about forgiveness. And you guys know everything there is to know about that. Um, so... Um, we're going to do it anyway, because that's the one I brought. Um, <laughs> psalm 51 is a, is a great psalm. And uh, in, in this psalm, David is just dealing with just the, the reality of life. The reality of life is this. If we are people of God, the problem we have is this thing called flesh. And we all have it. We all have this problem that we can't get away from, and that's this this thing called a sin nature. And what we do is, you know, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we uh, uh, perhaps want to do the right thing all the time, it just doesn't always work out that way. Now, it's not that we give ourselves, you know, an excuse and say, well, okay, well, I'm just human. I mean, I've used that, and perhaps you have too. You know, why? After all, I'm just human. And, and that is true. But the, the bottom line is this. We, there's only two kinds of decisions that you and I can make in our lives. There's the godly decision, and there's the ungodly. Now, the reality of, for me is that I, I wish there was a, a, a third category kind of in the middle. The godly, the ungodly, and the, well, that's not really a good idea. <laughs> because that's kind of where I live. And I just, wouldn't it be great if it was just that third category in the middle? We could kind of live there. And that way, it was, that's kind of a guilt-free zone. But the reality is that it's either godly, it's ungodly. I mean, that's it. It's either right, it's either wrong. And what we've done in our, in our society, society is we've tried to bring ourselves to a place where we have that middle zone, where we've created something that allows us not to have to face the right and the wrong in our choices. But David made some bad choices. Psalm 51 is written about the choices and the issues that we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 11, where David made the decision about Bathsheba. He committed adultery, committed murder. This is a man that when, we, when the Bible refers to him, when, when, even when God refers to him, he's talked about as a man after God's own heart. Now, I don't know what that does to you. You know, if you, look, you hear that and you hear about a man that committed adultery and, and murder and so on, and you go, and he's a man after God's own heart. Maybe you, look, you hear that and what it does for you is you go, that's, a, that's an incredible inconsistency. Or maybe you hear that and you go, praise the Lord for grace. 
See, the world who does not understand this whole idea of grace, they look at it and they go, I just don't get it, and that just proves that something's wrong with the Bible, and they don't understand that none of us deserve any of the things we get, and that it's all about grace. David teaches us in Psalm 51 something that is so wonderful. See, at the heart of all of us, there, we have this issue. Um, for several years, some of you have been to Word Life Island. Many years ago, I had the, the privilege of directing Word Life Island. Uh, Tom is back here. And um, uh, several, for several years, I had to put up with him being there with me. Uh, <laughs> that's just, yeah, I know you're timing me. I know. Uh, he always times my sermons. Uh, but he keeps coming back. Uh, but uh, uh, for several summers, I had directed Word Life Island. We had a, there was a tree there that I, I'm not sure that, that it really was, but somebody had told me that it was the oldest tree in the Adirondacks, and it was on Word Life Island, okay? And it sounded good, uh, but uh, it was the big, big tree, and a uh, huge, beautiful tree. And one day, lightning struck the tree, and uh, it had to be cut down. And when it was cut down, some, the discovery that we made about that tree was when they cut it down and it fell, they discovered that the heart of that tree was just completely eaten out and diseased and, I mean, you know, bugs had gotten in it, and, 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 it was just, and it was just terrible. It was a terrible thing to see what had happened on the inside. The outside looked great. The inside looked terrible. And sometimes we walk around looking like that too, don't we? You know, we come to church and we just, oh, hi, brother, how you doing, Chris? I'm just so glad to see you today and we're praising the Lord. But the inside, there's a problem. And we all have that same problem. It's just that sometimes it manifests itself differently. So let's talk about a clean heart. Let's, let's just look at a few of the verses and then we'll come back and talk about what David did in order to get a clean heart to, to deal with a sin problem that he had, that I have, that probably you have. Uh, I know those men, those of you who are married, your wife doesn't have a sin nature. You all know that. Uh, mine doesn't. <laughs> Verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God. I'm going to need it tonight. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I have brought forth, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. It's a key verse. Remember the tree? I, I'm not really concerned about how you look on the outside and, and what your persona is and, you know, your image. He says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. David, David blew it, okay? David made some bad decisions. David, you know, sinned. 
And when David realized his sin, when David came to that point where he came to the end of himself, which, by the way, happened because the man of God confronted him. You know the story. Nathan came to him, told him about the man who had taken this little sheep, and it was the only sheep, you know, you lamb, that this other man had. And, you know, he, and he, the other man had all these sheep, and he took this man that only had this one. And, you know, and David was so furious, and he said, man, you know, well, just tell me who he is. He's going to be punished. And Nathan looked at him, and he said this, you are the man. And, boy, it's just, it hit him. God uses other people in our lives to help confront us about our sin. God has used people in my life to confront me about sin. God used people in your life, perhaps. And when that happened to David, David is confronted with this, and he deals with it, and this is the occasion for the writing of the psalm. So with that in mind, let's just look at this, a clean heart. First of all, here's what you'll find. David says, have mercy upon me, and he asked God to do this. He says, number one, would you create in me a clean heart? Create in me a clean heart. Understand, it takes God's power to do that. And if you're taking notes, we've, I put some things up here on PowerPoint, and Kaylee's helping me back here. It takes God's power. It's the same power, by the way, the same root word here, that it was for God to create the world. God, create in me a clean heart. Change me. Do something here. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Create this, and it's, a, it's the act of God that is doing it. Uh, when, he, when we think about doing this, it's the same concept of when we are justified. It's justification as we read about it in the New Testament, where he is justifying us, the justification process, just as if we had never sinned. He is creating in us a new heart. Create in me a new heart, God. I've sinned. I need you to do something in me. I can't do this. How many times have we tried to do this on our own? I mean, you heard Jeff say it a moment ago as we started the service. Uh, and uh, he said, you know, we've made the New Year's resolutions. Uh, you know, I'm going you know, to run a mile every day. How's that working out for you? <laughs> and I said that before the other guy on TV said it. Uh, and, or, or maybe, you know, we weren't going to eat this or we were going to do that or we've made promises, or whatever. See, this is bigger than that. This is dealing with the God of the universe. And he's saying, God, I realize I can't make a New Year's resolution. I can't just, you know, make a promise. I have got to come before you and say, God, I need you to do it. And when you and I find ourselves in this case, when we are here, only God can do that for us. Here's what David was up against, okay? David was up against three different problems. The first one is this. David was up against something called transgressions, all right? Transgressions. Transgressions, are, and, and this is three different things that he talks about in this passage, and we don't want to mix them up. First of all, he says this. The transgressions, those are acts of rebellion. That's just out-and-out out rebellion. That's crossing the line. Uh, you see this sometimes. I, I call it crossing the line. It's climbing the fences. It's you know, going over the guardrails. It's peeking through the knot holes. Um, these are the acts of rebellion. This is where uh, you're in the grocery store, uh, as I was uh, the other day, and, uh, and the mother says to the child, don't pick that up again. 
and the child does it. Now, every now and then, I want to assist a parent uh, in, in the store. I, I, try, I refrain, but I, every now and then you want to. But it's the, it's the idea of the, this flat-out act of rebellion. And we all do it. I do it. You do it. The transgressions, that's one of the things he's up against. The second thing he's up against, he says, is iniquity. He says, I want you to blot out my transgressions, my, my open acts of rebellion. The second one is my iniquity. That's the inward crookedness. That's my perversity. I'm just inward crooked. I'm crooked on the inside. God, I, I just got issues. I have a sin. I, there's this sinful thing inside of me that wants to go the wrong direction. And then the third thing he's talking about is just what we know we call sin. And that's what we deal with most of the time. Sin, sin is the idea of missing the mark. That's failing to meet God's standard. That's the, you know, for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, we've missed the mark. We haven't measured up. So he, he breaks us down. And in Scripture, we find this all the, all the way through Scripture, transgressions, iniquities, and sin. But oftentimes we think they're all the same. Basically, they're not. And David just kind of lays it all out and says, guess what, God? I've done it all. And if we were to take a survey tonight, we'd probably all have to raise our hands and say, yeah, that's me. David had a problem here. See, David was missing the mark. He was inwardly crooked, and he was just outright rebellious, and that's what got him to the point he was at in 2 Samuel. And David, his sin, because of his sin, his heart was dirty and it was hard and there was problems. That's about verse 17. If you look at that quickly, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. It, that, it suggests that not only was his heart dirty, but it was probably hard at this point in time. Now, notice what happened because of his sin as we're looking at this passage. Verse 3, you'll notice this. It says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. The, what it affected this. Look at the things that his sin affected. Just four, four quick things here. First of all, it affected David's eyes. It affected his eyes. Verse 3. He, could, he couldn't see anything but his sin. You know what that looks like? Here's what, here's what that looks like. You know, have you ever... Let me just do it for me, okay? I do something wrong, and I just expect... Everybody knows it. No matter how private it was. So I do, I do this, and I just expect that everybody knows it. So somebody calls me on the phone. You know, Jeff calls me on the phone, and I answer the phone. He says, hey, Mike, I need to talk to you about something. I'm going, oh, no. How do you find out? <laughs> it's ever before me. It's just, it's just there. It affects his eyes. He said, I can't, I'm, I become defensive. I, I have this guilty conscience. The second thing it affected in verse 8, it affected his ears. He lost the sound of the joy of gladness, it says. Make my ears to hear joy and gladness. He lost the joy and gladness. When you're out of fellowship with God, nothing sounds good. You come to church, the songs are sung, the hymns are played. And it just doesn't sound right. 
People talk about good things. They say, man, what, wasn't that fantastic? What do you think? Wasn't that good? No. Nothing sounds good. The third thing it affected was his lips. Verses 13 through 15, he could not witness, he could not sing God's praises. There is nothing that will shut the mouth of a Christian any quicker than unconfessed sin. I, I can't talk to you. Know, I mean, I'm not going to be able to witness and tell other people if, if this is in my life. And fourthly, it affected his mind. In verse 6, he says, Behold, your truth is in, you know, you desire truth in the inward parts. It, it affected his mind. He begs God for wisdom. See, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, David sinned. He, he lusted after his neighbor's wife. He committed adultery. He, you know, he, he made him to get drunk. He, he committed murder. And then, by the way, he covered the whole thing up for over a year. That's a long time to be guilt, feeling guilty like that. And understand something. He was not a youth. He was a mature man, quote-unquote, ruling over a kingdom. He should have known better. But then again, I can't judge that quickly <laughs> because I should know better too. See, understand what we do. Betsy and I were, were talking about this the other night. And we, matter of fact, we've been talking about it two or three times this week. What we do is we classify sin. The only thing that's really sinful is what Craig does. <laughs> Not what I do. I mean, after all, what I'm doing is all fine. It's fine. You know, we, we come to church and the preacher preaches on something. We go, oh, amen. Until he hits the thing that, that's kind of close to us. We're going, what, what is he talking about? Where he, what does he get off on that? He is so off. See, we, we classify things. And that's wrong, but what I'm doing, that's no big deal. And we, so we just look at these things, and, and David, you know, in his own life, he's looking at this, and he's going, what, what's the big deal? Because his heart had not been broken yet. David needed something to happen inside of him, and so he pray, prays to God. He needed a new heart. Not that he needed a heart transplant, but he needed something to be changed inside that it would become pure. He needed God to create he was saying, I'm an empty desert. I'm void on the inside. I need something to happen in my heart. And by the way, that's the right place to start. You know why? Because the heart's the rudder of the soul. And so he says, I need you to start here. And once again, this is more than turning over a new leaf. It's more than a New Year's resolution. It's more than making a promise. This is something serious. Matter of fact, Leviticus talks about this, and Leviticus says it this way. He said, it is better not to vow a vow than it is to vow a vow to God and not to keep it. It's better that some of us take time to think about those commitments we're making to God and not be so rash, but that we think through things. My wife will tell you, sometimes I, I, I drive her insane because I, I think about things, and I think about them for a long time. Once I finally make up my mind about something, uh, I'm, I'm pretty tenacious about it. But I just, it, even my decisions about commitments to, to, to certain areas of Christianity, I want to think about those for a long time. 
We need to be careful about those things. See, he realized that he was helpless. He needed God. He couldn't change on his own. Anybody else feel that way? I do. God, I can't do this. Have you ever just felt desperate? I, I haven't felt, I, I, don't, I don't remember feeling that way. I mean, since this morning, anyway. Uh, when I talk about feeling desperate, I'm not talking about that that's just something that happened a long time ago. Honestly, folks, isn't that something that's with us on a, on a pretty consistent basis? With all the stuff that goes on in our world and our lives and so on, we have to cry out to God, God, I need you. I can't do this. He said, God, I'm, I'm not only helpless, I'm hopeless. I need you to have mercy I need you to blot out. I need you to wash. I need you to clean. I need you to have this mercy on me. See, it's the idea of his mercy. You know what mercy is? It's repaying evil with good. He says, and this is what's really, really exciting to me. He talks about, before he talks about the multitude of his sin, he talks about the multitude of God's mercy. And he prays based on God's loving kindness. Now, the the reference there goes back to Hosea chapter 2 and verse 19, if you want to go back and look at that sometime later. Hosea 2, 19, he refers back to that, and he talks about something called God's loving kindness. Literally, that can be translated this way, not just loving kindness, but you can translate it, God's loyal love. And if you know the story of Hosea, that's a really interesting concept. God's loyal love. And he says, Lord, I am appealing to you based upon your loving kindness. I'm appealing to you based upon your loyal love. Now, what's interesting is that that concept is mentioned 250 times in the Old Testament. And he says, God, based upon your loyal love, your multitude of mercies and your loving kindness, I'm asking you to do this. That's that's a pretty good track record. It means he's loyal, he's steadfast, he's faithful, and it stresses the idea, literally, listen to this, it stresses the idea of belonging together and based on that he says god i need you now i don't know about you but that sounds refreshing loyal love in the old testament notice this in the old testament communion deliverance enablement enlightenment guidance forgiveness hope Praise and preservation, all, all of those were based on God's loyal love. Think we need him? Yeah. So when we talk about forgiveness, when we talk about coming and crying out to God, all of a sudden we realize, wait a minute, God, this really is all about you. It's not about I'm going to, you know, come in here and I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to, I promise, if you'll forgive me, I'll go to church every week. Big deal. I mean, if I was God, that's what I'd tell you. 
You can be real happy I'm not. <clears throat> One more thing I think that's worth mentioning here when we think about this whole idea of our, of our failures before we move to the second thing quickly. Don't let Satan talk you into wasting your failures. I never, when I was young, I, I was, came to Christ and uh, just before I became, a, just as I was becoming a teen, my a pastor in our area led me to Christ. And my, my pastor, I never forget, I, as I was growing in my faith because I knew so little about anything, and I never forget my pastor after I just had royally blown it. And just was at a stage in my life where I I literally, I just wanted to walk away from everything. And I'll never forget him looking at me and saying, Mike, God is with you in the penalty box. Don't let Satan talk you into wasting your failures. Learn from them and move on. And if he had not told me that, I want to tell you something. I probably would have never moved on and I wouldn't have gone into ministry and I wouldn't have done any of the things that God's called me to do. So don't let God, don't let Satan do that. Just listen to God. Number two, or whatever we are, clean, okay? Number one is create. Number two is clean. You say, are all your points this long? No, we're going to be done on time. Clean, kind of close on time. Clean. Clean. David wanted a clean heart. Here's the steps to a clean heart. I'm going to give them to you very quickly, okay? He's, the, the primary thing I wanted to talk about was this. He just threw himself out to God and said, God, I need your help, okay? So here's the steps to a clean heart. They're right in the passage, but I, and then we'll just show them to you up on the, on the wall or screen here. Uh, number, number one is this. Acknowledge your transgressions, verse, verse 3. It's, we confess them. We just confess them. Now, I want you to notice something that I I noticed as I was going through this passage. If you read through Psalm 51, and I'm not going to read the whole passage because of time, but if you read through Psalm 51, you're going to notice notice how personal it is. You're going to see things like this, me and my, over and over and over again. It's personal. It's not, Lord, bless all of us, and if there's any of us that are sinners, oh, get over it. We all know that's true. Now let's get right down to my chair. And he's just real personal. Number one, acknowledge our transgressions. Confess it. 1 John 1, 9 takes care of that, remember? Number two, realize the root problem. Verse 4. Verse 4 says, realize the root problem. Sin is involved, and it involves others, but primarily, notice what it says, against you and you only have I sinned. See, understand something the root problem is that we've sinned against god it probably may have involved others but number one involves god number three acknowledge our sin nature that's verse five verse seven no no verse five acknowledge your sin nature he says not only have i sinned but you know what my whole nature is that of a sinner that's what i I, i'm a sinner I had, I had a friend I grew up with who had a really weird sense of humor, and he said that was his spiritual gift, um, which I don't, that's not in the list, by the way. Uh, number four, 
verse 6, realize confession of sin will involve some, some real key thoughts, okay? Realize that confession of sin will involve being honest and truthful and sincere. It, it, it involves being honest and truthful and sincere. Number five, this is verse seven. Realize that sin must be atoned for by the blood. Isn't that something? See, it's not just like God goes, my granddaughter is um, in kids something right now. Uh, and I, she is so cute because when, you know how kids are when you try to wink at them and they try to wink back and both eyes because they're not quite sure how to do that. And she's just learning how to wink back, you know, and which I, I love. Uh, when she does that, it's like, how much money do you want, sweetie? Okay, just <laughs> fine. Yeah, just tell me. But, uh, you know, it's not like I go, God, I need you to forgive me. And he goes, no big deal. No, it's, it takes blood. His blood. See, this is serious. And, and it involves blood. And that's why he says that he would cleanse us with, with the hyssop. Now, that's not, the hyssop is not blood. That's, that's a, the hyssop is, is a, a plant from that place, that, that area. It's kind of a wooden, it's a very stalky type plant that they use with flowers on it, aromatic type of a plant that they would use to use like a brush, and they would use it to, uh, in the purification process, but many times they would use it to, to put the blood and as a brush, they would use it that way. And he's saying, cleanse me with that. He's saying, you know, I can't do this. It takes more. It's the payment with the blood. Uh, number six, and this is verse eight, realize that confession does not stop all the consequences of sin. This is important. Sometimes we can ask God to forgive us of a sin, but we've already done something and the consequences are still there. They don't go away. In number 8, verses 16 and 17, he says, realize that there must be repentance. David looks beyond the sacrifice. See, this is the Old Testament where they are sacrificing animals. And he looks beyond that sacrifice to the sacrifice, capital S. He looks beyond the sacrifice with a little s to the capital S, the sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And he looks there and he realizes that forgiveness is not cheap, but it costs something more. And he talks about the contrite heart. He says, I need you to create in me and I need a clean heart. And then the next word is the word consistent. And very quickly, as we look at this and we think about being consistent, understand something. David prays for a right spirit. See, when he talks about creating, he's talking about something that's not there. He said, I need something. Now he's talking about the idea of, of a renewal. This is not the idea of creating now. He's this is the idea of rebuilding. It's the idea of a repairing, if you would. He's talking about a right spirit. It's erecting something to, to stand it upright. It's to make it constant. First of all, he says, you need to create something inside of me. Purify it, change it. I need you to do this. And now he's saying, I want you to repair this. And I want there to be a constancy in my life. See, what we have to make sure we understand is that in our lives as believers, we need to act upon Scripture. We, we hear it and we learn it, but then there must be the action. 
that we go and we do something about it. And so he says, renew a right spirit in me. Verse 11, and I'll just give you a few quick thoughts up here. They all start with the idea of being restored. When he talks about having a right spirit, he says, would you renew a right spirit within me? He talks about, first of all, verse 11, having restored fellowship. Restored fellowship. Now, verse 11 is an interesting verse, and let me, I, I just want to call your attention to that very quickly. He says this. He says, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Let me just take a parenthesis here, okay? Understand, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament, the Spirit of God was given to them and came upon them for certain, certain particular acts. For example, David was the king and the, 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 word, the Spirit of God came upon him to lead a nation to do certain things because he was called by God to do certain things. But the Spirit of God did not come and, and reside within them as he does with us now. And so the Spirit of God would, would come upon them, for example, would come upon uh, them to, to do a certain thing, Joshua or Moses or whatever. But it, it was something that was a temporary thing that would, he would come. We now, today, we, we don't have to say, Lord, don't take the Spirit of God from me. No, that is something when we come to Christ, the Spirit of God comes and dwells within us and he never leaves us. Okay? So he's saying, don't, when he says, don't take the Spirit of God, we don't need to worry about that. He is saying, okay, you've anointed me for service, and, and, and you're taking care, of that, taking care of that. And so I don't want you to take that away from me. But for us, it does have a, a still a very important thought for us. God, I need to restore the fellowship. Just jot down Ephesians chapter 4, verses 32, 30 to 32, and you can go and read that. Because we can grieve the Spirit of God, which would just break our fellowship, and we want to restore that. Number two, it restored his joy, and that's verse 12. See, when we have a right spirit, we have restored fellowship, we have restored joy. When Betsy and I are at odds, and it's always my fault, let me just clarify that right up front, uh, but when, we, when Betsy and I are at odds, when we make things right, we have restored fellowship. When, we, when, when there's the, the, the friction you know, it's not like I can go by and say, hey, honey, I love you, and how are things going? She'll go, yep, okay, fine, thanks. I mean, we're still married, but, I mean, it's, not, it's just not the same. So it's not like I'm, I don't have a relationship with God, but there's this broken fellowship. But once we make things right, there's the restored fellowship, there's the restored joy. Verse 13, there's a restored witness. He says, now I can, I can, tend, can stand before others and have this restored witness. Verse 13 is one of the most incredible verses in all of Scripture. I, it, is, it is one of the most incredible verses. If you've got a Bible, you want to underline it. Uh, I hope you don't mind that I'm using my iPad. I hope that didn't offend anybody. Then my Bible's in here. All, all 47 of them uh, are in Matter of fact, more than that. But, and I hope that didn't offend anybody and that that's not a policy that you don't do that here. I should have asked. Um, uh, but uh, you <laughs> should have asked that. Uh, now I'm nervous. Anyway, but you can underline in here too. But underline that verse. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Um, but you can, I'm only going to be here this weekend. I'm never back anyway. Uh, in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted. 
You understand, this is a man who sinned. He blew it. And he's saying, you know what? Because God is going to create this inside of me. Because God is going to forgive me. Because of the blood. Because I have forgiveness. Guess what? I get to go and be a witness for him all over again. That's good news. I need that all the time. I don't know about you. That's good news. I, see, there's so many times I'm going, oh, man, I blew that. I guess God's done with me. I mean, at, do you ever do one of those where, well, I, oh, man, I've asked him to forgive me so many times because, you, you know, you've done that. Well, God, forgive me, and I promise I'll never do it again. Oh, did it again. God, forgive me, I'll never do it again. And, you, you know, and after about 837 times, you just go, I can't ask him again. It's kind of like he didn't know. What a wonderful God we have. Verse 14, verses 14 and 15, restored song. We have restored song. Praise the Lord, I can sing. I won't do that in front of you, I won't, I promise, but I can sing. And it, it restored song. Verse 18, we have restored service. In verse 19, we have restored worship. See, when our heart is right, God is pleased with our actions. We can worship him because we are in, in tune with him. Leave that up for just a moment or then write that down. But while you're doing that, I want to I flip over here. I want to read you from another psalm that most commentators believe, even though it's an earlier psalm, Psalm 32. Most commentators believe that this psalm should be after Psalm 51. Because Psalm 51 talks about, God, I blew it. I need your help. Blot it out. Blot out my transgressions and so on. Psalm 32 was also written by David. And I, too, believe that it was written after Psalm 51. And notice what he says in verses 1 and 2. Blessed. That means happy. Happy is one, the one whose transgression, outright rebellion, is forgiven. Whose sin, who didn't make the mark, <laughs> is covered. Blessed, happy, is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The same man who says, God, I blew it, and I got all these terrible things going on in, in my life, and I need you to help me. The same man now comes back and says, I can be happy. You know why? Because God does it. A clean heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for just the truth of your word. Thank you for the fact that you are a God of mercy beyond our comprehension. Repaying evil with good. You are a God of grace. 
Not that you just overlook our sin, but Lord, you are just so gracious and loving. Your loving kindness is the basis for our appeal for forgiveness. And thank you so much that we can come to you knowing that you will forgive. Tonight, may we just find comfort in that. And if there are people that are here in this auditorium tonight that are just carrying a heavy load of guilt, believers that things in their lives are just not right, would they tonight do business with you? Would they settle that tonight and not keep carrying that load and dragging that that baggage around? But would they just tonight deal with you? I pray if there's someone tonight that does not know you as personal Savior, that they would realize that that same blood that that just forgives us and, and sets a right spirit within us as believers is the same blood that will bring salvation to them and help them to know the freedom in Christ and would give them eternal life. And so tonight, Lord, would you work in hearts? Would you cause people to make decisions even this evening that they'll be glad they made when they stand before you?